0: Welcome back, everybody, to Clean Thought with Andrew and Nad. This is episode number eight, and I want to thank everybody for listening and subscribing and following the show. And today we're going to cover, a, I would say, a pretty sensitive topic. It's the other side of narcissism or some piece of narcissism, right, Nad? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh... we're covering the topic of victimhood or the victim mentality and uh nad i'm gonna let you take it away and just talk about this mentality that we well it does take some fixing some looking in the mirror uh some asking am i am i being the victim here am i playing the victim here am i taking ownership of my life or am i blaming everybody else it does it does take some asking nad of course one one more time i will say has studied psychology for many years and uh that's why i started this show with him because uh he's a lot smarter than i am and <laughs> <laughs> so i really uh enjoy our conversations in person or via the internet and i've have i'm having fun With this show, I really am. It's I'm enjoying it. It's encouraging me. It's something I look forward to every week. And I've always wanted to start a show, and here we are. But Nad, of course, has been studying or has studied for many years psychology and different sides of human nature. And so, this, of course, this topic today is uh, one that he has looked into. And so, we'll see where it takes us. But go ahead, Nad, take it away. Let's talk about victimhood.
1: Before I start, I need to mention that, yeah, this show is very encouraging for me, too, because I've been trying to uh, get to an audience about many things before. Most of the time, it turned badly because of the circumstances. <laughs> but I'm glad. I'm enjoying our conversations, as you said, all the time. And it is safe to say for me that I've been blessed by this opportunity. The, com- the com- It's helping me from all aspects and it's very good and victimhood actually after uh we finished our conversation last week i went through the internet to take a look at what the literature what the basic thought about victimhood is nowadays and i found out that the most of people are talking about it as a situation that is more revolving about the power struggle Hmm. like they're talking about uh, a person who is looking for victimhood as a way to gain power. And what I want to start my conversation first is that although what I'm saying, what I'm calling victimhood, this matter is one of them, but it doesn't only exist here. The victimhood as the other side of narcissism is a very broad personality disorder and where lots of behaviors That often it is like two pieces of a puzzle. They click together with narcissism. And although it is extremely unhealthy, extremely hurtful and toxic relationship, they usually last for a really long time. So it can be like the dependent characteristics, the dependent... Where like one person
0: depends on the other.
1: Yeah, uh, there are certain personality types Mm. that they seek dependency from all the way around, from everyone. They need a certain dependence figure, dependency figure in their lives. And they try to rely on it all the way to the person who, it is safe to say, all the way through the person who seeks masochism. I don't know. Masochism, masochism. I don't know the exact Mm -hmm. English word. Masochism. It is uh, defined as a tendency or king. So the whole thing is a very broad spectrum, psychologically speaking. So the key element goes back to the verse that we talked about last week, that love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So on the narcissism or on that end of a spectrum, is like they they don't love themselves, so they try to over-exaggeratedly love themselves pretend that they love themselves so so much they they create a glass of castle on this end they when they don't like themselves they love others so much pathologically that by loving so much they try to paint a picture that so they you have returned return the love to me or the other side of it is that they l- try to sacrifice themselves so much that would kind of ignite a feeling of guilt in you. So now you have to love them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is a very, very hurtful situation. Usually lots of passive aggressive behavior involved in this. And yeah, so that uh, usually that every emotion in human psyche can can be very healthy but also can go pathologically. It can create problems. So in this field, the feeling of love, the feeling of guilt, that they are both healthy on their nature, they go pathologically, and they create huge problems, behavior and emotional problems. Mm. So I'm not saying everyone that does uh, self-sacrifices has a disease or sick. No. you you can think of it like this if you go and try to defend your family from a threat and you sacrifice yourself you put your lives on life on the line that that is a correct that is healthy sacrifice or when you have a job opportunity with a lot of money but to take that job opportunity you need to neglect your family your children you won't have time for them and you, you reject you deny that position of power the position of authority for to be with your family and that's a sac- that might be your dream but you sacrifice that dream for your family and these are healthy sacrifices these are something that that are not actually pathological they are very healthy they show matureness they need a very healthy person a very healthy personality to take these decisions in the time but Often what I'm talking about in the victimhood is that the person tries to sacrifice themselves or try to go way above their budget, above their limit for a very unnecessary act. For example, unnecessarily sharing their food with everyone on the table. Everyone has plenty to eat. There is no shortage of food. Everything is all right. But no, take this, take this, take this, take this and we have people who have this behavior we have cultures who promote who encourage this behavior and create this trauma this pain this pain this suffering in their people this kind of behavior actually creates a whole chain of (laughs) chain of (laughs) problems like Uh, in the children when they are dealing with this kind of parents it can cause narcissism or another type of victimhood mentality, victim personality types. It can create a lot of, I wouldn't call them like abomination in their behavior, but I would say unnatural, harmful uh, behaviors, fantasies in the children that we actually in, in in a therapeutic environment, It is very easy to trace them back to the moment they started. Like, I have had patients, we were able to trace back the moment this behavior started from the moment that this happened, back from when they were, like, I think it was eight months old. Mm. And they remembered the memory, the exact memory when this behavior started. So, yeah, it is a very dangerous area, a very dangerous relationship, and a very dangerous behavior.
0: Dude, I mean, I I don't know how to confess this, but uh, when I was younger, I think I had some sort of victim mentality. Like, I didn't want to take responsibility for my own actions. You know, I was a kid, but like, if someone gave me a bad grade at school... A teacher gave me a like. I, I would hide my report cards, and if my mom or dad saw them, and it was a bad grade, I would blame the teacher. I never really took responsibility, so I know it's some ways it's in a it's an immature thing. Thank God I didn't keep this and grow into this as an adult. I think that's where it really matters and counts. But so some people that are children. This starts very early, and sometimes they can go back to when it started. That's pretty crazy. Trauma
1: so often starts very early, but, uh, you know, there there is nothing that happens in one moment. So it is the trauma starts, and then it goes a whole uh, rabbit hole of encouraging the same behavior over, over, over again that creates a personality type. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's like it wasn't like imagine it's not
0: one event but it's a series yeah, of it events It is a
1: series of behavior it, yeah it is a relationship nature of a relationship imagine the parent that only pays attention to children when they're in a trouble when they're crying
0: yeah yeah they
1: have no natural interaction with each other the parent doesn't pay attention
0: it's not very nourishing yeah. yeah
1: so unless the mo- the moment the child starts crying he starts getting attention. You can look at the victimhood this pattern happening in all the way all in every part of their lives they only can get They only worth being paid attention to they only consider themselves worth being worth being loved when they are in a trouble when they're a victim. What I'm talking about is a lot more a, much more subtle you know
0: much more uh, subtle.
1: Yeah like this kind of victimhood is they try to overly love you, go out of the way for loving you to show you love so then you have if you don't show love back is all. you mm-hmm. know what I mean like like imagine you are having an aunt and whenever you go to their house, she brought brings every best thing they have in the house. And you came to say hello, but they're saying hello. You just saw her in accident in the street, but the whole thing turns out to be a whole feast and party. And you kind <laughs> of feel awkward if you say, I have to go, see. I'm giving this example like the way that they try to keep you. And this is subtle thing that happens over and over again. Yes and this is what i'm talking about and this is what matches with narcissism like yeah you see a couple the love is so kind and loving and the husband is unbearably narcissist selfish (laughs) you don't know what (laughs) how to react so you kind of because the love is so loving you have to consider you have to tolerate the whole situation you keep them around because oh the husband is a jerk but yet she is not mine. or or the opposite the husband is a very nice person but yeah i can tolerate her but yeah we have to because the, he's a friend of mine so <laughs> i think it, i did paint a picture of what i'm
0: talking about i see yeah so in a way they trap you they're they control you because they're like, oh, you can't leave. I made all this food for you. I, I they, Or I prepared all of this for you.
1: I did all of this for you. So now you have to stay. You have to be in the relationship. You have to love me.
0: And if you and, don't, now I'm a victim. Yes. Ah. <laughs> the,
1: and this comes from like... <laughs> this is the other the, side
0: of narcissism.
1: Yeah, they they kind of... <laughs> they use the feeling of guilt and the feeling of love in you in their advantage.
0: Yeah. Like I owe this person
1: trip you. Yeah.
0: I, okay. So I've definitely, I've seen this and, you know, I can't be specific, but there's like, this is a tough one to be in a relationship with. Thankfully, the, this person hasn't sought relationship with me, so I really don't have to mess with them, but I see what they're doing. I see that they, when they have a relationship, the person that is friends with them or whatever, it's almost like it's a very deep relationship. It looks like they're very good friends. Now, I don't know if you realize, uh, if you've ever heard of Charles Manson. <laughs> no, never. <heard laughs> oh, man. You need to research Charles Manson. He is a classic crook, and he actually passed away a couple years ago, but he was in prison for life. He uh, was your classic narcissist, but he was like this side of this side of it. He was very subtle. He read the book... Uh, by daniel carnegie how to win friends and influence people and charles manson read this book while he was in jail and he had a an epiphany a light bulb went off he realized this is how i can make it in this life now throughout all um, his childhood he was always in trouble he was in and out of, like, juvenile detention. He was in boarding schools. I don't think he ever went to a military school. I don't know if they even had those back then. But then his rise came in the 70s. Now, he was a singer, and he played guitar, but it was really bad. It just wasn't good. But he tried to get close to people in Hollywood that were also singers or producers, And he tried to like twist their arm to let him record because he really believed he was talented. And this is kind of when things started going downhill for him because these people were just like, you're not good. And it made him really, really mad. And I don't know all the details, but he basically had this group, this group of people that they believed in Charles Manson, like they followed him around like he was a god. and he made a cult out of this group of people. He targeted people who were weak. He targeted women who were already upset with their family. This is in the 70s, so you had a lot of rebellion going on in America. He targeted these, these younger women, 20 years old, 21 years old, to join his group, to join his revolution, and made them believe that, you know, there was going to be great change coming and he would like preach to them and the dude was nuts okay bottom line but he used his tactics of this victimhood because he would do something really really nice for them but now they owe him he controlled his people this way and he controlled them because he made them feel so special but when his music did not happen and when these Producers did not want uh, to sign him or let him record. He got mad, and he ordered them to be killed. He actually never committed murder himself. He had his people (laughs) kill them. It's pretty bad. And his group was called Helter Skelter. That was his cult. And they did LSD and all these other drugs, but... Charles Manson was a, like he was nuts, but he was smart at the same time. He knew what he was doing. He he knew how to win friends. He knew how to influence people. And because of his power of influence, he he had so much control that he these people murdered for him. Isn't that wild?
1: Yeah. That uh, well. <laughs> uh... The fun part about this whole story is that this is not something that, this is very common, very common, especially in the cultures that are more group centered. Like they, they are, they, they put less weight on individuality. They're more on group centered areas and yes, this is this is what happens literally. Like they puzzles click together so well that they even die for each other, they go they hurt themselves, they hurt others. I mentioned like the kink, like yeah, it, they turn it to a whole often I see that they're trying to turn this kind of behavior in the whole gender identity or the whole identity of it and yeah this is uh, the literature behind it is very strong that this is hurtful this is aggression this is violation but it it has been normalized so recently when talking about it when i i'm seeing the recent conversations about it it kind of shocks me off how are we neglecting such a thing such a relations in people but I think Charles Manson the, the example you gave me he was a he was a genius
0: yeah most people saw him that way
1: usually these people they are not you know they are, they are very smart especially when we talk about when we are talking about narcissists like the people around them the whole idea sometimes it does happen subconsciously they claim that nobody knows what's going on but when you get into the therapeutic conversations with them after a while you see that they were aware but this is what they did anyway
0: yeah i wish i could get inside their head like what are they thinking are they really plotting all of these things Are they really using people the way they are on purpose? Like you said, is it like subconscious or is it actually on purpose? You know, I I wish I could see inside their heads.
1: It is not something that they plan. Like this is not long term plan involved. This is just that they they have been behaving like this for so long that they do it automatically and they do it well.
0: It's kinda of like survival.
1: Yeah, they, they survived like this and now they mastered it. They perfected their technique. This is this sounds like a conspiracy theory. They perfected their technique. they will get into
0: your head. No.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's their survival. It's way the way they learned as a child to survive. Yeah. And they continue the pattern.
1: As I said, some of them this is something that we see in religious people too. Like they, they bring the name of the Lord as an excuse to for themselves to go out of their way when they're doing nice things. And for to make you do nice things, uh, which is something that I wanted to mention.
0: Like religious like, leaders? Yes. Yeah.
1: Like it is very easy to claim Jesus died for you. You're not dying for him. So, as suicide. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the preaching on this for me and you right now it is not it is very at our, at our mind, but at a perspective. But imagine an emotional congregation; everyone praises, admires this guy, and then he drops something. And in the heat of the moment, everything makes sense. And suddenly, we hit the news title: like so many people dead, so many harms done, vandalism like this is something that uh and as i'm saying it is growing more and more
0: was like the the preacher or the religious leader that has two private jets and three mansions and and yeah he's asking for the third one and it's like you can see the well i guess you could see uh, like his motivation is not really to spread the gospel it's for his wealth. It's for his self-gain.
1: So, yeah, we need to keep an eye on this situation.
0: So this victim mentality, this dis- it's a disorder, you said.
1: It is a behavior that exists in lots of disorders, personality disorders, or the things that used to be disorders. They are not anymore.
0: Yeah, you said Techn- they're normalizing them. Yeah. Like it's a... It's, it's normal to, to be like this. Uh, no problem at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, in the hand, like in the very, when I'm saying, very recent, probably about last year, and they published a correction to some of the procedures in therapy. And now the, the clinical psychologist is not even to question some of these behaviors. Not even to question, like not, why are you doing this? Nope. Oh, wow.
0: Because it's offensive. Yes. Oh Lord. Yeah, our offended our offended generation. Yes. Now they can't handle the truth. Like you actually have problems that you should address. <laughs> we can't say that anymore. <laughs>
1: Imagine, this is exactly the same thing. Addressing problems that has nothing to do with you. Offending on behalf of somebody else. Getting offended by it on behalf of somebody else. This is exactly the same thing. I often, when I read Bible, I see a lot of mentions or verses that they... They're very close to what what the healthy psychology says hmm. they it is a, it is it's a knowledge ancient wisdom in it that we kinda try to rediscover it again in the humanitarian sciences and psychology we are dis- disco- rediscovering lots of things that they it has been in the Bible in my opinion for thousands of years so yeah. When we see something like this, the couple that came to my was Jezebel and the other.
0: Yes, Ahab. Yeah. I was thinking of them too when you were talking about <laughs> uh, the person, the auntie that has like all these things prepared and she's yeah. very warm and seems like, you know, very almost fun to be around, but she will trap you. <laughs> like you can't leave. <laughs>
1: your
0: mind yeah <laughs> I was thinking of Jezebel well one of the topics of some church groups before has been the spirit of Jezebel and we kind of see replicated in the book of Revelation and how she seduces the church or whatever she brings it in traps it if that makes sense uh I read a book about this uh, years ago it was about the spirit of Jezebel. It was very interesting, but it basically talks about this, like what we're talking about today. How well Jezebel used makeup and changed her face to make it more appealing to the prophet so he would not kill her. Well, in the end, it didn't work, but you think about this how many times did she do this to her husband? She controlled Ahab. Uh, actually, Ahab. Probably would have been a better king if it had not been for her. But he followed her, what she wanted. and Because you can see in scripture sometimes where he actually did obey or listen to the prophet Elijah. But when it came to Jezebel, she just had a totally different spirit and it controlled him. I don't know if you could see this in the scripture, but...
1: Yeah, actually, uh, the to- if you remember, the topic of spirit was something that I wanted to hit on, special, especially, specifically in one episode, because of this, because it's a very big conversation. I think the next episode would be nice to be about this topic, like the spirit and the spirit. Of- yeah. The definition of spirit in the Bible.
0: I have a scripture, and I just kind of thought about this scripture as we were talking. Philippians 2 and 12. Hmm. uh, Just uh, what Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I just thought of that word to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and I go back to that taking ownership, that idea of taking responsibility for your own soul, for your own spirituality, for your own walk with God. And if this is, it's a good trait, it's maturity, it's a it's Christian maturity, uh, spiritual maturity, to take responsibility for your own. Self, your own soul. Now, do we need each other? Yeah, we need each other. We need to edify or exalt or encourage one another. But this is not our lifeline. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's an added benefit to living for God. It is a great benefit to be able to encourage one another. But often we see people lose out with God, walk away from God because they're depending on people. And I'm going to tell you, people will fail you. People will hurt you. People will disappoint you. But God does not. And I believe there's probably a whole lot more context in this scripture, but i just taking this one scripture to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That we make sure that ourselves are we are lining up to what God desires for it is god which works in us to do to do good for his pleasure to will and to do of his good pleasure it is god working in us and of course i just feel like we this is a good word to remember that this responsibility is on us in in some churches it is it is a bad trait, is a bad characteristic, but some churches rely too much on the preacher. They rely too much on the ministry. They rely too much on the staff of the church. You know, give me, feed me, give me what I need, encourage me, make me feel better. I I understand this in like a in a, a, a Christian that is just now born into the kingdom is like a babe in Christ. I understand that those steps and those stages are necessary, but there's got to come a time where you get off the milk and you get on the meat. (laughs) Amen. And that's what Paul Paul admonished the church of Corinth and said, I wish I could come to you with meat, (laughs) but I have to go back to the same stuff, the same basic things and give you milk. And he I this is powerful, but he says the same scripture I'm talking about in the book of I think it's first Corinthians, he says, you should be teaching by now, but I have to go back and teach you. I have to go back to those basic things to teach you. And Paul, as the pastor of this church and all that, and the the apostle of that church, he understood <laughs> the he understood where his church was. It wasn't strong enough, it wasn't mature enough to be able to handle itself, that it should have been teaching other people. It should have been reaching into the world and pulling souls out of out of the grips of hell, but it was focused on itself. It was focused on its own issues or its own life. It, it was narcissistic in a way. Yeah, amen. Nice. <laughs> and so... There's, there's so much power that comes. And I understand a Christian that is new and brand new into the church. There's a lot of things and steps and stages of growing. But eventually, you have to grow up. You know, Eventually, in God, you have to get off the milk and get on the meat. And there's so much more for us when we begin to take responsibility. When we begin to say, all right, I'm going to have a prayer life. When we get up and we say, all right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to uh, pray for others. And it's not just going to be about me. When we start serving in the kingdom, there is so much power that comes from this. Praise God. It's the most dangerous hood to live in, the victim (laughs) hood.
1: It is actually, it is a very dangerous hood to live.